expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 170 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. You know what, Nick? Every now and then, we just kind of fall ass backwards into a theme on this show, don't we? We really do. And, and of course, this week we're talking about arcade games. And we were just talking about how, you know, back in 2007, there was a great documentary. It's called Chasing Ghosts beyond the arcade and what it dealt with was it talked about the rise and fall of arcades it also highlighted people who uh of course you had the famous twin galaxies arcade and it had and it highlighted the people who were part of that life article that life spread in the life magazine i believe it was that had all the high scores of different games you're we talking pac-man centipede donkey kong all those great classic games and it kind of caused james and i to basically stroll down memory lane and talk about just our first experiences at an arcade. So let's kind of get this thing kicked off, man. Where, what was your first arcade experience and where was it? Honestly, dude, it's funny because, you know, of course, growing up in the eighties and you're talking the early eighties here, you're talking about like the dawn of the arcade age. And what's funny was, is that you started seeing a lot of your arcade games pop up, but like pizza hut, yeah. Stuff like that. So you'd have Donkey Kong, you'd have Centipede, you'd have Millipede, you'd have uh, Asteroids and stuff like that that you would just sit down and play while you're waiting for your pizza. And then, you know, you'd go to, like, every now and then, you know, the summer, it's summertime, you go to the lake sometimes with your family, and the lake would always have this unmarked building that would have, like, four games in it, right? So you'd have, like, a Donkey Kong or something in there. You'd have, you know, a racing game, you know, just whatever racing game happened to be popular at the time would be in there. And then you'd have maybe a pinball machine in there as well. So there was stuff like that. And then as I started getting a little bit older, that's when the arcades started popping up stuff like the funscapes and stuff like that, with these giant massive arcades and that just had all the games in it. So that's kind of how it started for me. And for me, I mean, of course I'd started off at Chuck E. Cheese. I'm a little kid because that's where I got introduced to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. You know, it was where I played my first pinball machine. So like a lot of first there. Then, you know, it was one of those things where, where I lived in Syracuse, New York as one, it was kind of funny, but kind of weird at the same time. And like, you know how the saying goes, when one door closes, another one opens? Oh, yeah. Well, in this, well, in this case, when one arcade closes, another one opens. Mm-hmm. I mean, arcades in Syracuse were like basically a phoenix, basically. Every, I, mean, it was, it, I mean, you had Chuck E. Cheese, and then that closed. Then you had Discovery Zone, and then that closed. And you had Sports Star 2000, and that closed, and Funscape. And, I mean, Sports Star 2000 was one of those arcades for me that really stood out because just the layout. I mean, for, it was probably the first, and Chuck E. Cheese had rides in it too, but Sports Star 2000 had a ride where you walked in, and it was like one of those uh, kind of carnival rides, like a Dumbo ride, kind of oh, those yeah, spaceships. I, I mean, the ceiling was so high in that building, like it was just, you looked up, and you're like, wow, that's pretty high. And just the way they had things set up, like you go to one area, and you had the Neo Geo machines, you had your x-men game you know you had your your skill games i mean one of my favorite skill games to play was and you probably remember these games where you sat down on a stool and you had like a little cannon in front of you and it was an air compressed cannon and there was like a clown face in front of you and you had knock out the teeth and of course you had the other one where you had the little like doll shaped clowns you had knock those down those are my favorites 
But then you go towards the entrance. There's like a little dip in the ground. So you kind of go underground a little bit, and there's all your fighters. There's Primal Rage. There's Mortal Kombat. There's Street Fighter. Just the layout was great, and to see that thing close years ago, uh, it was sad. I mean, some of my favorite prizes I got from there, and they weren't really big stuff. Of course, you had a Mortal Kombat hat. Uh, one of my favorite things I got was I actually got enough tickets. They sold a like life-size, I guess you can call it life-size, but regular-size poster of the Power Rangers movie, the nice, first one. Nice. So being a kid and getting that, man, that felt like a great accomplishment. And my dad and I would go every weekend. And it was just amazing, just that, that atmosphere. And I know a lot of arcades nowadays are really more touchscreen-based. I think it takes a lot of the, 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 not only the fun out of it, but I think it also takes a lot of the skill out of it as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that they've still got classics like skee-ball and stuff like that, and I'm always a sucker for a good skee-ball. Oh, they, same. I mean, they, they, I mean, there's still some, but you're right. They're kind of pushed in the back for us old folks to go and find. Like, you want to play that skee-ball or you want to hit the clown's mouth, you better go find it because we're not going to put it right up here where you can see it. So, I mean, even in the tiny little city of Manchester, New Hampshire, I'd li- <laughs> we're close where I lived long ago, they had the biggest Chuck E. Cheese there, man. It was so gigantic, and it had the amphitheater with the weird animatronic yeah. um, characters that would go, and then they had like a tunnel system that you go underneath and you just you know get away from your parents and just play under there and it was it was the weirdest thing ever but it was the coolest thing ever at the same time yeah i mean talking about the arcade it's just such a lot of fun memories that just come back to you of course you mentioned the ski ball for me again i love pinball like one of my main goals in life is when i get my own house when i buy a house I want to build an arcade. Like I want to dedicate a giant room just to be an arcade. Yes. I want I want I want some pinball machines in there. I want the classic Miss Pac-Man Galaga cabinet, the two-in-one. You want to talk about a game where I am addicted, where I will literally just sit, stand there for hours and just play over and over again? It's Galaga. Yeah, you for want me, to talk about how many quarters I wasted oh, on that yeah. sucker? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, just the amount of quarters. Let's just put it this way, man. I could have probably put myself through college with all the money I had my parents spend when I was a kid. Yeah. Putting in that token machine, getting those quarters, getting those tokens and stuff like that. Galago is just one of those things, man, where it's just – there's something about it. It's that simplicity. It's that side going side to side and shooting. You know, and that's what's so great about the arcades and just talking about it now is – there's just the simplicity of the games back then. You know, a lot of games now are, of course, 3D. There's a lot of, you know, moving parts to them. But there's just something simple about a joystick and a couple of buttons, you know? Dig Dug was one of the simplest games you could possibly play as far as aesthetics and controls and stuff like that. But I would just sit there for hours on end just on that, just on Galaga. I mean, you we could sit and rattle off names of games forever. But, you know, you spent so much time on those games, even though they could, you know, it was somewhat repetitive, but you couldn't stop because it was just so fun and it was just so simple. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, I do miss that. Are games great now? Absolutely. I love the stories that get told. I love the graphics, everything. But every now and then, I will always go back to my roots on gaming. Yeah, man. Of course, it was in the arcade where Donkey Kong became the original Mr. Steal Your Girl. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Your princess wasn't in another castle. She was at the top of a friggin' pile of steel girders waiting for you to dodge barrels to come and save her with a tiny hammer. <laughs> oh, man. You know what's funny? I can Now I'm just, I'm just picturing you because you have the, the facial hair and everything. I'm picturing you dressed in like a plumber's outfit and your wife is at the top. <laughs> and you have to like save her. I'm, I'm... 
but instead, but instead like your kid is is do- is the Donkey Kong Jr. and is just like holding her hostage from going downstairs. <laughs> like James, he won't let me go downstairs. Save me! Come he, get him. <laughs> he, is, he can be pretty fierce when he wants to be. He's throwing action figures at you, guys. Pretty dodge. much. <laughs> pretty much. Oh man! But come next, it's what we're reading. Speaking of arcade games, James. We're in a book that dealt with a classic arcade game. Find out which one it is coming up next. Hey guys, this is Jonas Jazz from Spider-Man Homecoming, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, boys and girls, it's time we grab our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And you know, we spent the last segment talking about arcades and some of our favorite arcade memories. And of course, Dynamite came out with its Atari books. And I gotta tell you, James... You may have picked one of the best books, not just Dynamite, but I think in terms of Atari, one of the best adventure and kind of sci-fi books. And how could you not want to read Centipede when you see that it's coming out? So I reviewed Centipede number one this week, written by Max Bemis, artist is Ian Marin, colorist Chris O'Halloran, and letterist Tyler Esposito. And just like the Sword Quest book, you have the classic video game lettering right there in the front telling you who was involved in the book and everything like that. And it looks like an Atari screen. So automatically, nostalgia-wise, you get drawn in. But the story, you think, okay, where are you going to go with this? Well, it centers around a guy named Dale Trell on a planet, Styrex. Now you're saying, well, you know, why isn't this based on Earth? Well... Again, we don't do spoilers here when we review our books, but let's just say they touch on Earth in this book and why they're not on Earth, and there's a very good reason for it. Let's just say that. But of course, <laughs> this wouldn't be a centipede book without centering on this centipede itself. But one of the things that I loved about this book, and maybe you call this a spoiler, maybe you don't, so I guess I'll give you a little bit of a warning just for the hell of it. This book literally brings you in. The main character... And this book talks to you, you the reader. So it's almost like you're his only friend in the world kind of thing. And, and that's really, really interesting to me because it made me bring myself into the story. The story itself is a very interesting story anyway. But the fact that they did that almost like a first-person narrative and they're talking directly to... I wouldn't even call it breaking the fourth wall. It's, it actually makes you feel like, okay, you're the wingman on this. You're the only person that this guy has right now, so let's do this. And he decides to do something right in the beginning of this book where he goes, screw it, I'm doing this, and takes you along for the ride, which I thought was really cool. And then when you get outside, you start to see the Easter eggs. You know, we talk about Easter eggs in movies all the time. There's articles written all over the internet about, oh, did you spot all the Easter eggs in this movie or whatever? You get Easter eggs in this comic where he runs across this. Then he goes a little further, and you get something else. Then you go a little further, and you get something else. It's like, damn, this just feels good. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll just say this now. I know normally we don't read each other's books because we want to keep kind of, you know, we want to trample over each other's reviews. But I read Centipede, and I just want to say this: I'm not going to spoil what it is, but just the reveal at the end and what they do. Oh. So smart, so smart. And here's the other thing too: I laughed several times. Right. Reading this book. And I did not expect it at all to be funny. But that's what good sci-fi does. You find a way to tell a good story, make it compelling, give yourself some nice elements there. But also, the bits of humor at just the right time. You know what I right. mean? Right. 
Oh yeah, you want and that's the important thing about sci-fi and horror, you know, especially when you're dealing with serious stuff and you want to find those perfect places to put in that that breaking of of seriousness to kind of, you know, ease tension a little bit and then bring it back in. And this book really does it really well. And I mean, the art as well does a good job of, of just capturing that as well. The art was very, very good. I thought that this art definitely took a step up for the Atari books, especially, like you said, the reveal at the end was the best page of the entire book art-wise. And that's not to say that the rest of the book was not good, but you want to make a statement at the end of a book. You know, like how we were talking about Destroyer, how the first couple of pages made the statement from Dietrich and set the tone for the right. entire book? The final page in this book makes you go, if I don't read the the next issue of this story, then then I'm then I'm I'm dumb. I, I have to have the next issue in this series, man. This I was really, real hoping this is another one of those books where you read and you go, please be good, please be good, please be good. Lived up to the expectations exactly. Putting this in my pull box for sure. Buy this book. You will not be sorry. Yeah, man. And of course, Centipede is such a good book. Go out, buy it, put it in your pull box. It's that fantastic. And moving on to my book, you know, we had Ted Adams, of course, the head over at IDW on the show a while back. And we talked about and teased a little bit of his series, Diablo House. And we talked about how there are some similarities between it and Tales from the Crypt. And I will say this, as someone who is a diehard fan of Tales from the Crypt, this is everything I had wanted and more. And this book, what it does is, it centers around this surfer character named Riley, who, in a sense, is basically the Crypt Keeper. And he gives you this whole history of the Diablo house and what it is and, and the architecture. And he goes into a lot of stuff. And as you mentioned, you know, there's something in the Centipede book where there's a similarity between Diablo house and Centipede. Where what it is is as you talk about the main character takes you on a ride and pretty much doesn't make it seem like he's breaking the fourth wall. But he, you feel like you're right there next to him. Riley does that because he talks about how he gives tours of this Diablo house. And mm-hmm. He's talking to you as if you were on the tour, as if you are walking through this house with him. You don't feel like he's breaking the fourth wall. You feel immersed in the story. You feel immersed in this book. And what it does is he goes into the story about this couple, and this couple is one of those things where, you know, hard times, and let's just say that, you know, when something good happens – and in a book called Diablo House, you know there's a catch with it. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. When you see how Ted writes this, it's a little bit predictable because we've seen this kind of story pan out before. But at the end, when you, fee- when you see, I will say, mild spoiler here. When you see the punishment at the end, you are like, oh my god, brah freaking vo because it's one of those things where you see it's you see it coming you kind of know what happens before it happens but it, it didn't ruin it for me and with that being said this is just a phenomenal series i want the next issue and the art in this is very very good and it captures that horror element to it it kind of has a little bit of that you know in terms of art style 
kind of has a little bit of a valiant feel to it in terms of Ooh, art. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it is really good. The way that the house looks, it has – and what's great about the house, too, is that it is this, like, old, gothic-looking, you know, looks like it's made out of stone and glass house amidst an, a Los Angeles setting, a San Diego setting, you know, a California setting. You know, it, it doesn't fit the background, mm-hmm. but it does at the same time, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it doesn't feel – like, it looks out of place – but it's really not like it mixes and blends really, really well. And I will say this, man, this is just a great series. And again, it's one of the great things where you feel like you're with him along the ride. You feel like you're, you're seeing in this thing. You're, you're seeing when you talk, when you dive dive into the story, you know, you're, you're looking at the story from the outside looking in. And during that time, the great thing that Ted does with the dialogue with Riley is he still, they still have him talking to you. And, they still, and what they do with the art is they put his, his face in there too in certain parts of him, his narration kind of. And it's again, it's him talking to you and it's just brilliant. It's kind of like you're peeking through the glass with the head of this book. And it, it's just something that, that takes you away. And as a horror fan, as someone who loves these types of books, this is a definite pull for me. It's something I want to put, I'm going to put in my pull box. This is something I'm going to buy. This is something that's well worth the money. And as... If you were someone that was looking forward to the Tales from the Crypt show that's now not going to be happening anymore and you want your fix. Perfect substitute. Diablo Perfect House substitute. is right there for you. I remember from the part of it, parts of it that we got to read early when we had Ted on the show not too long ago. This is the perfect substitute for I, you. So, yeah, I agree. And I will say this. You know how we read a lot of IDW books, review a lot of them on the show, and they deal a lot more with lighter stuff like Transformers and Mask and stuff like that? This book... You read this? I had to check the publication on this. I'm like, this is an IDW book? Because some of the stuff that happens in this, you're like, oh my god, this is so graphic, so mature, some of these things. You just, I never pictured them being part of an IDW publishing book. And, and that's why I can't wait for Black Crown. Oh Bring yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. Oh yeah. And that's the thing, man. Speaking of Black Crown, if this is anything what Black Crown is going to look like when that's fully launched, if we get titles coming from it, Oh my God! Oh yeah! Oh, it's it's a perfect. It's so perfect, man. I, I that, can't wait. Oh yeah, and that's gonna do it for this week's edition of what we're reading. Come next this week in Geektainment. Stay tuned and find what we're talking about next. Hi, this is Ted Adams, CEO and publisher of IDW, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you thought that the legendary monster universe was the only thing we're going to be getting for Godzilla, you would be wrong because, Nick, we just got the Japanese animated trailer for new Japanese version of Godzilla anime that's going to be coming out. Yeah, it's called Godzilla Monster Planet. It's from Polygon Pictures Toho Animation Production, and it's going to be on Netflix, and I'm pretty excited about it. Of course, this is going to be released as a trilogy in Japan starting on November 17th. I gotta say, seeing the trailer, I know it's only 30 seconds, but when you read the description, of course, the language is all Japanese. You, If you're not fluent in Japanese, you don't know what's being said. You kind of really get a case of what's going on. But when you read what it's about, what's taking place, whereas the kaijus have basically taken over Earth and all the humans have had to leave Earth. But now, after seeing that you know life out in space hasn't been so successful, they have to go back. And of course, that means they have to interact with all these different kaijus, these giant monsters. And I will say this. I like that they did this. I like that this isn't a story about 
We have to leave the planet and just escape. This is about going back and not like, well, you know, let's go on this mission and kind of, you know, see what's going on, see how, how Earth has panned out over these past X amount of years. No, this is shit. We can't live here anymore. And our only refuge is going back to the place that we left. And that place is overrun by monsters, so now we're fucked, and we have to survive, basically. Yeah, pretty much. It's like a twisted version of, like, The Expanse or something like that from sci-fi meets the animation style of, like, a ghost in the shell kind of thing, except there's giant friggin' monsters everywhere. It'd be a lot—it would have been a lot uh, harder decision on Lost if Jack said, we've got to go back, and the island was just littered with fucking monsters everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the, the animation style I really like, it's really different. It kind of gives me that, I know you mentioned Ghost in the Shell. I think in, the light, in terms of lighting, it does have that Ghost in the Shell feeling. But I also got a little bit of a, a mix of a, of Ghost in the Shell, maybe Attack on Titan, mixed yeah. with the stylings and the kind of cell shading a little bit of Telltale games. And it has that kind of blocky, sharp feeling to it. And it, it looks pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That that description, I think, I think it's pretty apt, and I think that that's a good thing. And we're getting a lot of, I think, really good anime adaptation type stuff. We'll be talking about a little, something a little bit later on, as a matter of fact, as well. A lot of stuff that's going to be coming out in that style. This is almost like, we know it's starting in Japan. It probably should start in Japan anyway. And then I think it's on November 17th. It's going to be released in Japan, and there's no release date set yet for the U.S. on Netflix. But... I think we're seeing, like, the rise of the anime right now in America again. It's like it's almost like the second coming of anime in America, and Netflix is right there at the forefront of that. Well, I think that, of course, as somebody who, who grew up in the 90s and in that Toonami era, if you don't know what Toonami is, Toonami was a block of anime programming that ran on Cartoon Network. It was between, like, 3 and 6 o'clock. And you just you saw Gundam. That's where you had your your uh, Dragon Dra- Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. I believe they also had Voltron, the original Voltron, in there as well. And that went away, and I think it's back now. But my thing is, when I look at this, I don't really see it as like the relaunch of anime. I think anime has always been around. Uh, I think some people who are not as fluent in anime, I would say, or not as big of a watchers of anime, would say. This is nothing against what you just said, but this is just kind of like, you know, if you haven't been really paying much close attention to it, it does feel like it maybe has gone away and this does feel like a little bit of a resurgence. But for me, it's been around for a long time. I think it's never really gone away. My thing with this is I think that we're seeing a really nice resurgence of this kind of kaiju-esque storytelling. I mean, we're seeing, of course, you go back to Pacific Rim, and you had the Godzilla stuff that's from the past, even now, uh, where I think we're seeing a, a really kind of just resurgence in general of, of this monster storytelling. And the fact that it's being brought over, and I think it is right that it's released first in Japan and is being brought over to America on Netflix, I think that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's what they normally do. Like, for example, Dragon Ball Z, I remember when I was a kid, there was a channel, I can't remember the channel name, it was like a Japanese channel, and I somehow got it on my television when I was little, and they would be about an, a season or two ahead of Dragon Ball Z, whereas on Toonami would be behind, because it's like, when they would introduce Hercule and, and, and Saiyan Man, it's like, well, we're still kind of going towards the maybe the end of the Frieza saga a little bit. So it was pretty... 
pretty interesting to see how how ahead they are in all this with all the dubbing and everything. But I think it's it's a, a great thing no matter what. Well, we're starting to see anime expand, I think, into these licensed properties, which is something that you didn't really see a whole lot. I mean, I know that G4 tried that with a couple of Marvel shows. I think there was an X-Men and a Wolverine and an Iron Man that didn't really pan out. I think it was a Spider-Man one, too. So now you're seeing that into things like Godzilla, and of course we've got Castlevania that's going to be coming up and all these different things. So I think what we're seeing is the more licensed properties, which gives the, I'm going to, I'm going to say the average fan, a chance to watch anime that they might not normally watch because they're not necessarily anime fans, and then maybe everybody can come together in one big happy family and share stories about stuff. Right now, I watch anime, but I don't watch. I'm not. I, I watch anime, but I'm not the hugest anime fan. Like, I don't watch Ruby. My the anime I mostly watch is just the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. I'm not really the biggest fan of Super, but overall. You know, this Godzilla anime, I'm excited to sit down and watch because I love Godzilla. I, I love the style. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, man, and I think that as we see this go into future movies and future, like I said, it's going to be trilogy. Hopefully that trilogy will be released fully here in the U.S. Hopefully Netflix will be patient with this. I know they're starting to cancel stuff right away if it doesn't work out. Hopefully they'll be patient with this and let it breathe, and hopefully it'll be successful enough for us to get this full trilogy because I want to see all these kaiju monsters, man, in this animation style, and and hopefully it does have almost that Attack on Titan type of a vibe to it, but also that space aspect as well. So you not only get the monster quality, but you also get like a little bit of a space sci-fi edge to it as well. So you get the best of both worlds. Coming up next is Nerd News. We have a bunch of stories to get to and find out what things on the internet caught our attention this week. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's time to go around the internet and see what's trending because it's time for... News. And we're gonna start off in the comics realm, and James, DC is t- crossing over again, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see who they're crossing over with this time. Hey, playing nice with others means we get to get Riverdale meets Gotham City because Entertainment Weekly reports there's going to be a Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica crossover. So we're gonna see. DC Comics and the Batman Realm crossover with the Archie Comics Realm. Of course, it's going to be co-written by Mark and Draco and Paul Dini, who was one of the co-creators of Harley Quinn, and Laura Bragg is going to be doing the art for this. Now, Nick, what's your excitement level right now for when this comes out on October the 4th? Um, my excitement for this is I'm not the biggest Archie fan, I'm not really the biggest Archie reader. I would still read the hell out of a Jughead, wimpy kind of eating competition book. <laughs> um, I guess that. But, I mean, it's Harley and, and Poison Ivy. I think it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic between the four of them and see kind of like what happens between them. Who knows? Maybe Harley will take a, a, a liking to Archie. We don't know what will happen. I know she's she's technically – I think she's actually dating Poison Ivy right now. But, I mean, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens. Uh, my excitement for this, I'm not as excited for this as I was for the Looney Tunes crossovers. But I think that if you're, you know, with the success of Riverdale, which I call, you know, CW's version of Twin Peaks, basically. I mean, if you're an Archie fan, go. I think this is up your alley. I, I'm not going to be running to go read this. But, um, 
Yeah, that's, that's just my take on it. Like I said, if, it's not that I think it's going to be bad or anything. It's just at my interest level, because I'm not really a big, the biggest Archie fan, it's, 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 just, it's another crossover series, which, um, you know, it's going to have a, an appeal to some people. I'm just not really one of those people. Here's, my, here's the reason I'm excited for it, because it's going to be fun. I've not been a fan of the most recent Archie run that uh, Mark Wade's done, and that's okay. I mean, I'm more of the, the classic Archie fan anyway, but it'll be very interesting to see how these characters interact, because, you know, the Harley Quinn uh, series right now, it's still fun. They've given Poison Ivy a nice fun edge in that dynamic, and then you bring in Betty and Veronica, and on the cover shows uh, Poison Ivy and Harley sipping a milkshake with Archie and Betty and Veronica standing back there like, who the hell do they think that they are kind of thing. So, I mean, Betty and Veronica are no strangers to a little bit of a throwdown. So, I mean, I don't know how they're going to hold their own against Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. But, uh, I mean, that that's something that we could see. And the fact that we have uh, Paul Dini attached to this, one of the co-creators of Harley Quinn, of course, I think that that's going to kick it up even more of a notch. And I, I was always wondering, I was like, okay, I know that uh, Jimmy and Amanda have done a great job with the Harley Quinn run recently, but, you know, Paul Dini's been sneaking back in there every now and then, and I was wondering, hmm, I wonder if they're gearing up for something, and it looks like they were all along. Well, here's a question I want to ask you. This is from a a storytelling standpoint. So, as you saw from the cover, Betty and Veronica look to be jealous, kind of, you know, who the hell are these, you know, ladies that are sitting in front of Archie drinking a milkshake. Do you feel that... They're too one-dimensional, whereas you kind of wish that, again, I don't read Archie comics, so I don't know what's going on, so I could be wrong about this. But don't you do you, don't you kind of feel like they're too one-dimensional in Betty and Veronica and just that, like almost everything it seems that they're involved with is always like over a boy or some sort of guy or some sort of jealous thing? Well, like I said, not being a fan of uh, the recent run. I don't know what the vibe's been kind of like in in the recent run, but I think that they've grown them up a little bit more. Um, I mean, I think covers can be deceiving, too. I think that that's just, you know, sometimes covers are just the, the thing that catches your eye, so maybe that's not what the story's going to be about at all. Of course, they haven't really released too many details on this, other than the creators being super excited to do this. So I don't know if it's going to be a rivalry type of situation. Maybe they get along and just some fun stuff happens along the way. But I think that above everything else, fun is what we're going to get in one way or the other. Because, I mean, let's face it. In any reality or alt-reality, Betty and Veronica not holding their own against Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. It's just not happening. So here's a question. If you had to have your own crossover, who would you involve in it? If you had to pick two characters. Oh, God. That's difficult because, I mean, there's so many Batman crossovers. There's so many of the, like, the Harley, Green Lanterns had, like, a thousand crossovers in the past. Oh, jeez. Well, I'm talking about, like, if you yourself, if you were a character in your own book and you had, it was like James Witham and so-and-so meet. Oh, who should I cross over with? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, see, now this kind of makes me selfish because it makes me want to pick a character that I'd want to like hang out with or something because you don't want to be around Batman because shit's going to go down too much around Batman. How about this? I know that this is not based in any sort of reality whatsoever and maybe it takes it out of the comics realm, but how about a, a James Witham and Mario crossover comic? What is, what is it going to be like 30 pages of you just comparing facial hair? Exactly. You know, who has the best stash? You know, that, I'm not I'm not completely lacking in plumbing skills. 
that's you know, uh, that sounds like the worst crossover ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I can I have a good sense of direction. I could locate princesses pretty easily. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have to jump through too many firing hoops to get there. I mean, it just seems like I, I could help the guy out. For me, I want to go with somebody that doesn't really have my personality. You know, I'm very fun and funny and you know caring individual. So I want somebody who's like the total opposite of me. So let's have the Merc with one arm team up with Spawn. Yeah, that would be a, a different team up, wouldn't it? Hell yeah. <laughs> I think you just want to hang out with Spawn, the biggest Spawn fan that you are. You'd bra- practically uh, tore your other knee joint trying to get that uh, autographed Todd McFarlane thing at that con one time. So I think you just want to be hanging out with Spawn. Hey, best $20 I ever fucking spent. And, and that was a deal in itself, too. <laughs> I just want to wear his cape. That's why I want to have me have, have a, a crossover. I just want the fucking cape. Uh, we finally found a cape that you want to brush. <laughs> <laughs> Took us 170 episodes, but damn it, we found it. <laughs> yeah, man, but I think it'd be fun, man. I think it'd be really fun to have that type of a crossover between Spawn and I. It'd be really awesome to see us like battling Hell's Demons and stuff like that. And it'd be. It'd be Pretty pretty exciting, I think. I mean, and plus we're both disfigured. He's burned. I got one arm. It's the perfect match in harmony. There you go. You got it now. I think that this is a match made in heaven. Exactly. And our next story, we're going to the TV realm. Where you know, talking about Spawn. You know, he deals with hell, and you know, hell is basically a big thing with horror and, and stuff like that. So, who else but the master of horror, John Carpenter. Hey, he's going to te- television and he's going to sci-fi. Yep, and not just sci-fi. He signed the... This I love these this statement in press releases. An overall deal with Universal Cable Productions. The overall deal means maybe we'll use him here, maybe we'll use him there. But specifically for sci-fi for now, because they're going to be doing something called Tales for a Halloween Night, which of course is based on, you know, Carpenter's award-winning graphic novel anthology series, which is, you know, all kinds of different stories from movies, novels, and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I know that you're a, a big fan of the horror realm and, of course, Tales from the Crypt and things like that. So this is almost like a rebirth for that, isn't it? Well, yeah, because remember Tales from the Crypt, I believe, was supposed to be rebooted on TNT, and I it was remember I believe it was M Night Shyamalan was supposed to be yep, doing it. it. He was supposed to be the, the executive producer and leading that project, and the plug got pulled on it for various reasons. So, you know, we, I talked about Diablo House back in what we're reading. I'm loving this whole kind of resurgence, if you will, of this Tales from the Crypt storytelling, this anthology based storytelling where, you know. I haven't read Tales, but just reading the, you know, collect, there's a collection of horror stories of sunken ships, you have ghosts and graveyards. Like, I think it's great because, you know, growing up in the 90s, growing up in that Goosebumps era, having watched the show where it was that, you know, kind of Tales from the Crypt, R.L. Stein, you know, talking right to the camera, talking to you and kind of giving that narration a little bit of these books. And, of course, it was different because, you know, the books were, uh, every episode was a different book, but I love that though. I love, this is what my favorite part of horror is. It's not the possessions. It's not the jump scares. I love the slasher films. Of course, Carpenter made one of the best slashers of all time, Halloween. But I look at my favorite part of horror being, of course, I love the monster stuff, the monster universe, universal, but I love that whole guy or girl walks on the camera, gives a little bit of narration. And then 
off goes this different story. And then they, you know, after the story's over, it comes back to them and they're sitting in the chair and they're just talking about like, wasn't that a scary tale? Like, I love that type of anthology storytelling. I love that type of storytelling in general. And it doesn't stop there either because he's going to also be doing something called Nightside, which is going to be an adaptation of Simon R. Green's Nightside. We don't know what the home for that's going to be yet, but I mean, it's this whole story of uh, London's hidden eternal darkness and stuff like that. So I'm seeing, you know, like the fog rolling through the streets and being really creepy and all that stuff. And they have uh, Jill Blotkevold. Vogel, who does uh, MTV Scream, that's going to be attached to that. So it looks like Carpenter's all in and happy to be back with Universal. And quite frankly, it's kind of where he did some of his best early work anyway. So it just seems like this is a match that fits in a time that we really need stuff like this. Well, the great thing about Carpenter is that he's a guy who I believe has been in the game since like 1969. He's directed a bunch of stuff, but he's more written a lot more stuff than he's directed. But the stuff he's written, it's just really a lot of it's really good stuff. I mean, it's really cool to see these classic directors, these classic writers from you know who pretty much took a genre up to that next level that it's known for today, really, and and has built that solid foundation and kind of have not really resurgence, but just like you know come back, kind of like not I want to say come out of retirement, but more of just like. I'm back in a sense, and here's you know, I, you know, and, and it's really exciting for me because I love Carpenter's work. He's one of my favorite horror directors. Uh, I, I'm really, really excited for this. And speaking of, and James, we're going to be talking to Eddie Shankar, of course, the showrunner and creator of the Castlevania series on Netflix, and he's got a new project coming out. And he, you know, he's very active on social media, so he posted on Facebook the other day that he's happy to let people know about his new project, which is Assassin's Creed anime that's going to be coming and man you know we've talked about different venues that we could see assassin's creed in and of course we had the movie we've got the new assassin's creed origins coming out to me thinking about an anime version of assassin's creed as like a tv series i think that that is a fantastic idea i think it's a fantastic idea as well because you think anime you think a lot of Again, the animation style is not really that soft. It's a lot of pointy drawings and characters, concepts, and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, Castlevania fits that perfectly. Assassin's Creed, I think, fits that perfectly as well. You want to talk about, you know, the, the just from the clothing aspect. They got the swords and the daggers and everything like that. And I think that, you know, when it comes to the characters' movements, it's going to be gorgeous. I think anime fits it so perfectly when it comes to that. Not only that. You know, as much as you can try to do this in live action in any format, to me, this allows you to give the most true adaptation of the characters, of the stories, of the mythology of the game itself. There's certain things that you just can't do justice by in a live action form. And, you know, even with the good CGI, which you don't really want to use this way, you don't have to worry about any of that. You can basically do whatever the hell you want to do, go wherever the hell you want to go and tell whatever story you want to tell by doing it this way. So I think that this has good idea written all over it. Now, here's the question. We don't really have a home for this as, as per this post and as per us talking about this. So I know that there may be a simple answer for this, but where do you put it? Well, I think the only place he can really go is Netflix because, I mean, he's already there with Castlevania. I think it makes sense. I would love to see Netflix kind of have their own 
Eddie Shankar Library, you know, the Eddie Shankar Collection. We just talk about the Criterion Collection. Well, Netflix could have the Shankar Collection, you know. It would be pretty awesome to see. Enter the Shankarverse. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. And it doesn't even matter that the properties don't necessarily directly relate, other than the fact that they're both video game properties. Right? And, and Addy just seems like the kind of guy, and we'll talk to him about this in a few minutes, that is perfect for these kinds of properties. So I'm not saying that we need to suddenly have a thousand uh, video game properties adapted into anime on Netflix, but if you pick and choose the right ones, which it seems like they're doing right now, I think that this could really work out and, and lead to something really cool. It really could. I can't even see where they put it, what they do with this whole show. And I, I'm excited, man, because Addy, I mean, I love Dread. This Castlevania series looks amazing. Uh, just from a, again, just from an aesthetic standpoint, also just from the storytelling standpoint. So I think Addy's really on a roll right now, and you know, there's just things that he wants to do, and you know, he he wants to tell that mature storytelling. So, hey, I know that you know sci-fi is has you know the magicians, these more mature shows now and stuff like that, and we're kind of getting to that age where even networks are, you know, aren't afraid to to push the envelope in terms of maturity and what they show on television as well. But I think that Netflix is perfect for it because you can show the assassinations. You don't have to cut away from anything. And I think you can really just tell the story you want to tell. And you don't need to worry about ratings either, quite frankly. Right. And I mean, unless it's not on a Netflix platform or something like that, you don't need to worry about what the rating's going to be and how many people you can actually market this to. It's unlimited potential. And that's going to do it for Nerd News to come next. We just mentioned it. Eddie Shankar is going to join us to talk about Castlevania on Netflix. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy is coming up next. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think it's safe to say this is something that Nick and I have been excited for for a long, long time. Castlevania, it's going to be coming on Netflix, actually streaming right now. We have the executive producer of Castlevania, Addy Shankar. Addy, how's, how's it going, man? Pretty, pretty amazing because I'm on the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm going to keep saying that out loud. I, I like plug you guys. That's what we like to hear. Just the constant plugs. There's, there's no shame in that at all. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, actually... Uh, more the merrier. Yeah, there you go. That's what we like to hear. Now, when fans actually first found out about Castlevania, it was kind of discovered deep within this press release that Netflix sent out. And after it was made official, it seemed to kind of explode in popularity. So what was what was it like for you when you found out that this was really happening, that you were going to be a part of it? Uh, well, it was, it was kind of uh, heartbreaking to find out that Ron Howard had... Uh, uh, replaced me as uh, director of the Han Solo movie. Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream come true, man. I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to spin it in any other way other than to say that this wouldn't have been possible without the advent of streaming technology. It wouldn't have been possible without the, the surge in popularity of quote unquote nerd culture, right? I mean, for those of us who who grew up playing the game, I mean, think about how many, how many cool, amazing, beloved things that, that you grow up with just die as you get older. And this one didn't. All the things that, all the touchstones from the 80s and 90s, like fan culture on the internet, has, has allowed them not only to, to, to live on, but to thrive and to grow. Now, a name that really stood out to us, Addy, was uh, Warren Ellis. And I love what he's doing with Wildstorm right now and even Injection. So what do you think made him such a great choice for writing these episodes for Castlevania? 
he's just a great choice in general. I would have him. I would ask him to write anything and everything if he if he was willing. And I'm not just paying lip service to the to the to the writer here. He, he genuinely is amazing. I mean, I I've been a fan of his for years. You now he's part of that entire comic book movement of of folks who took campy stories and campy mythology and then added like a, a level of grit, realism, and social satire to it. I mean, have you guys read his arc on uh, on Moon Knight? That one I have oh. not read. I've read some of his other uh, other stuff, but I've not read that one. Yeah, neither have I. Um, I, I, I. What's some of your favorite um, Warren Ellis works? Well, right now, the, the remake of Wildstrom that he's doing now, I thought was great, but I thought his earlier work, and that was pretty darn good as well, me personally. Yeah, same. His, his current Wildstorm arc is probably one of my favorite things that uh, that he's putting out right now. Actually, there's a comic he's doing called Shipwreck that just came out too, I believe. That's pretty darn good for Aftershock. Yep. He's just, and, uh, you know, dope writer. He's just a dope writer, man. Uh, yeah, um, he has a voice. He has a point of view. And I compared him a lot to, to Stephen Knight, who you'd probably know him from more from Peaky Blinders, if you're a fan of that show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, of course. You know, when the teaser for Castlevania was released back in May, my eyes weren't just fixated on the NES and the classic cartridge in the beginning. I mean, that was awesome to see. But also the show's style of animation. So describe the process of piecing together how you wanted the show to look aesthetically and what you felt was the most important aspect to capture about Castlevania. Wow, that was like six questions in one, man. <laughs> you don't mess around. Literally six questions in one. I'm like thinking about one thing, and I'm like, oh, dude, people on the internet say I talk too slow. They're going to say that again. But I'm really trying to answer six questions in one. You take your time. <laughs> I don't know if I can, man. Um, these, these trolls, they're, they're brutal. They're brutal. I think the castle was the most important thing to capture. Having a castle. I'm saying that as a joke, but then as I said that out loud, I started thinking like, you know, having worked in like the, the, the traditional Hollywood system as well, that isn't necessarily a joke. I mean, I, I've literally been in meetings with executives where they would say something like, do we really need a castle? Not for Castlevania, but that, that, I, I've been in meetings like that. I can I can narrow down like a few a few elements, but really the truth is, it, it's one of those things. Like if you've played all the games, you're a fan of gaming. You kind of intuitively you kind of intuitively have your finger on the pulse of what should be there and and what shouldn't, what you should lean into, and what you should lean into even 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 more. You look at even like you take a movie like like Dread, for instance, right? The Judge Dredd comics, there's so many comics. That, that series has gone on forever, right? And, and every arc, every time a writer comes in, it's, it's slightly different, or sometimes it's very different. You take, like, the X-Men, the X-Men franchise. I mean, Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men was so different to Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men, which bears very little resemblance to, to Chris Claremont's run uh, on Uncanny X-Men. And literally, Stan Lee's X-Men was something completely different, like to the point where that was a different book altogether. So, you know, I, what elements to, to draw on? It's one of those things you just have to feel it. And the only way you can actually feel it is if you're a fan. Oh, absolutely. I totally get that. And we're talking to Addie Shankar, who's the executive producer of Castlevania, which, of course, is streaming live right now on Netflix. Hopefully you've already binged through the entire series. If not... 
get to it. Now, Castlevania has always been a fairly tough game, no matter the iteration. What's one of the toughest levels or bosses you've ever faced in a video game in your lifetime? Well, the toughest video game that I, I, I literally, oh my God, Bloodborne. I fucking, I can't stand that game. Holy that shit, that's a tough game, yeah. To, to, to the point where you're like, you know what, this is just bad level design because it's... <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't suck, you suck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, at a certain point, your game is so difficult that it's like one of those like art house movies that's depressing for the sake of being depressing and it's made for nobody. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I'm playing Bloodborne or even going back to the SNES with Battletoads. It's just those games are so difficult to the point where you're just like, you 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 don't want to like say, maybe hey, maybe my skills as a gamer aren't there, but, but you just turn on a game. You're just like, you know what? Screw this. Like, it's just yeah. one of those things where it kind of it, it's difficulty in a sense takes you out of that game. It makes you hate it in a sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you start resenting the game, and that's not the point, right? It's, it's got to be an enjoyable experience, an immersive experience, and something that, that you like legitimately take something away from. If you're not able to progress, then you're not doing any of the above. That's like literally going to a third grader, handing him an AP calculus textbook, and saying, oh, here's a test on it. You're like, okay, well, what did this kid get out of that other than, like, feeling humiliated like I felt when I played Bloodborne? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when it comes to the, the calculus and everything like that, I think today's stuff that's taught in schools is already lost on parents. <laughs> so, like, third grade stuff is basically stuff I learned when I was in, like, 10th grade basically now. Really? Oh, yeah. It's, I've seen my, my cousin's homework. Oh, my God. It's, like, stuff I've learned when I was a teenager, and he's learning when he's, like, eight years old. Wow, I didn't go to. I didn't really go to school here, so um, it's uh, some of that stuff's lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know Castlevania deals with the Belmonts' fight against Dracula. So, Addie, if you yourself were a monster hunter and you could fight another monster, who would it be, and what would be your weapon of choice? Uh, it would be a politician, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and it would be a truth serum. There you go. <laughs> nice. Now, now, how would you deliver said serum, though? What what vessel would you use? Uh, <laughs> I would be like a cross between Hawkeye and Green Arrow. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I would deliver it from a distance. But in this apocalyptic future where, well, it's not really an apocalyptic future, but I'd probably do it with one arm. I'd, I'd do it like Dark Knight Returns style, kind of like, you know, hanging over a building nice. with one tooth. As somebody with one arm, Addy, you just made my dreams come true because that's literally probably one of the best answers I've ever heard. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now he knows he can be a superhero too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just picturing Addy on top of like, the Lincoln Monument just like with a bow and arrow, just one-shotting it <laughs> with, with just one arm at somebody. You will tell the truth. I, I'm just trying to figure out what uh, what Hawkeye meets Green Arrow looks like. I mean, is it is it like Hawkeye with the the uh, you know the comic book version with the mask yeah. that looks kind of like a pseudo Wolverine mask, but then you put the hood on, like, and then how does the hood you know does the hood bump up against the uh, the the curved faceplate? You could just rest it right on there and get this nice curved appeal on the hood. 
Maybe it's like a Power Ranger. Like you, you know, you throw the hoodie on, and it's like a super mode. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> or you, just uh, since you got like the the mask, the faceplate there, just cut holes in the top of the hood, just put it right through the holes. There you go. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Addy, we all know the future of Castlevania kind of depends on how this first run does, and there kind of really seems to be so many stories you could tell, and so has there been any talk about the future of Castlevania on Netflix beyond what's out there right now? I can't answer that question without a... Yeah, I can't answer that question without making a Han Solo joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, I, I, you know, obviously I, I'd love this show to continue. Um, and, you know, the, the, the cool thing I will say about working now in, in, in the streaming age, right? Because I started my career before the streaming age. I, I started my career at the, the tail end of the blockbuster age, I guess. Felt like in the blockbuster age, fans were looked down upon, right? You, you take like all those Fantastic Four movies, just... Generally, if you were a fan, you were just kind of like fighting for table scraps. Right. Um, And it was like, well, you don't matter. The general audience matters. So here's a half-heated dish and deal with it. That's such a good Um, way to put it. Yeah, very much so. Because because I think we're seeing like now we're seeing certain studios say okay you know the continuity does matter and stuff like that. But then you have some people that do come in like for example like with the last Fantastic Four reboot and they're like you know what the continuity doesn't matter. We're not going to follow the the canon at all. We're going to do something totally different and it doesn't work out. So I think that you know now in today's day and age where storytelling is just so important, especially now that everything has these universes, it's so it's so important to just you know. Be true to the fans. Just be true to the the, the properties. Oh yeah, because I think they've you know they've not they they haven't learned anything because they they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. But um, I think we now have options, right? Like guys like us, we're we're fans of this stuff. We have options. Like there isn't just one superhero movie coming out every couple of years. Like there's there's honestly way too many for all of us to consume. So if you're not up to mark. You don't have an audience, period. Definitely. I want to talk about, before I let you go, Addy, I want to talk about the voice cast. What's something about the cast members for Castlevania that, that excites you the most? What's something when you first saw those studio sessions, you were like, oh my god, I'm just so pumped for this? How legit they were and how seriously they took it. Because you know what's interesting about this show is we're trying to do something that really isn't done very often Uh in this animation world, right? Where it's like, it's not cartoony. Like this is a serious, this is a serious show. It's a serious story. It just happens to be told with an animated aesthetic, with an Mm -hmm. anime aesthetic. And it's so crazy because I've been trying, man, I've been trying to do this since 2008. Well, before that even, but I, when I moved to LA, I didn't move out here to have a have a, a you know a live action career. I didn't really. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm glad it happened and it's cool and I'm happy I get to still do that. But my goal was always to do this. Like I wanted to tell do R rated cartoons for adults, anime for adult. You know, like like adult animation. I didn't know why it wasn't a thing. And uh, Todd McFarlane and I became friends around then. 
So this is like 2008, 2009. He, I remember he, he came to LA. He lives in Arizona. So he came to LA and he's like, Addy, I'm in, I'm in town. So we met for lunch. And well, I was talking to him about this, you know, I was like, man, I, there should be more of this. Why isn't there? And he talked about how, well, I'll never forget this, this conversation, even though the, like the, the details, the specific details of what he said, uh, kind of escaped me right now. But his overall point was the moment you get a, 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 an actor in a voice booth, they immediately go towards campy. They immediately go towards, you know, uh, Batman, the animated series, great series, nothing wrong with that, but that's just, that isn't the only way that it needs to be done. Right. Right. Every single one of these actors approach this with the same level of intensity, sincerity, and, um, an emotional honesty that they would have had this been a live action show. No one looked at it as, Oh, this is less than, which was dope. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things I've really loved about working on this, on this show. And it's not like this everywhere in the world. It's kind of just an American thing in a weird way. Like animation here is sometimes seen as less than, or, Oh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing an animated movie. Why? Well, it's cause you couldn't do it in live action. And it's like, no, 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 no. We don't want to do it in live action. Does that make any sense? No, because no, it, it really no, it does. makes perfect sense because we're seeing a lot more of that now. It's it's just now. I think I think Nick, you'd agree. It's just now in the last couple of years, really being taken seriously. Well, I think that voice actors themselves are being taken more seriously now. Oh yeah, you know, 2017. Because I think back then, I think even as close as five to ten years ago, you tell somebody, "Oh, I'm a voice actor," and they look at you as somebody. Well, you're just a voice actor because you couldn't cut it in live action. You don't have the you, know, you don't right. have the look. You don't have the you don't, either you don't have the look, you don't have the talent, but it's like, you know, we have a lot of friends who are voice actors, and it's like, they're really damn good. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you, when you see them in studio, and you see them doing all this work, and you're like, they're doing these movements, they're doing all this this voice work and everything, and it's just like, they're putting all this effort into it, and it's just, I think they, now they're finally getting that, that just, that deserved respect. Yep. Right, and I, and I, and I know why that is. I think I know why that is, right? Because we've been so focused, this whole entertainment ecosystem for, for, for decades was so was built around the idea of uh, intense consumerism, uh, selling things on an opening weekend, um, yep. putting some, picking a human, putting their face on the poster and having to delude the whole planet into believing that this human was somehow greater than everyone else. Uh, the internet has now completely decimated that facade, right? I mean, all the all the quote unquote movie star God people of yesteryear. I mean, they're not like, no one cares. People are like, what are you doing? You seem like a cartoon of a human. Um, and now the artists are getting their due because of the internet. Cause people are going on there and being like, you know what? I don't believe that guy, but I believe this, whatever this is, this is, this is real. This is raw. This is authentic. And yeah. And like, I think the other big, advent because of the internet is this idea that bigger is not necessarily always better true right true. true well man i think you guys should give this show it's due and binge castlevania right now on netflix not just once but as many times as possible because we need more of this and we need more stuff from this guy too Addy shankar thank you so much for joining us this week dudes um thank you for 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 just being fans of the space thank you for promoting the space 
uh, thank you for, for helping cultivate an ecosystem where a show like this can exist. It wouldn't exist if, it, if, 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 if guys like you weren't promoting the, the entire ecosystem. Forget, forget my show, forget Castlevania, just the entire ecosystem. We all rise together. So thank you. Hey, man, it's our pleasure. Thank you. So what Eddie just said in closing of the interview, this goes to show just how important podcasts like this one are and just news sources like us are and getting the word out about these projects. And because, you know, when when we talk about these projects, when we interview these people, when we talk about how excited we are for it, this is how we get more of these great things that we love, man. Yeah, and think about, again, how this started, where it was kind of a footnote in a press and a larger press release from Netflix until, you know, we kind of said, whoa, 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 whoa. And it was multiple outlets just like ours said, hold on a second. Did, did you say Castlevania? And then then it just exploded from there. And the trailer had thousands and thousands of views. And it's like, okay, when is this coming? Cause I need this now. This is why we need to be talking about stuff like this because the average fan might not know, or even somebody that's just a video game fan might not know that this even exists. Even though it's on Netflix, that doesn't mean you automatically know everything that's on Netflix. As a matter of fact, with their vast catalog, sometimes I even am scrolling through stuff and go, what the hell is that? I didn't know about that kind of thing. So that's why it's important to get the word out about stuff like this, because quite frankly, I want more of this. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing that's important, too. So, you know, whoever's at Netflix, whoever know somebody at a studio or whatever, you listen to the show, like, this is what we're excited about, man. We're just excited about all this stuff. We're excited about Castlevania. We're excited about Eddie's Assassin's Creed show. We're excited about the Godzilla anime. Like, give us this stuff because there is a market for it and people want it. I mean, we live in this era of social media and everybody's talking about how we need to save this show. We need to bring back this show, resurrect this. We should build on this. You know, bring back this console. And what happens? The consoles are coming back that we loved as kids growing up. These shows, these, these properties we loved growing up are coming back. And not only are they coming back, they're coming back really, really strong. And a big part of that is getting that word out, showing that demand. And, and look at what that demand has gotten us already. Not just stuff like this, but the DC animated movies, which have been fantastic and have been able to push that envelope a little bit. We're getting more and more animated series. I mean, the Deadpool Deadpool's getting his own animated series on FXX coming up. Right. These are the things we're getting. And Addy said, when I came here, I wanted to make animation for adults. That's what I wanted to do. And now it seems like this is almost the golden era to be able to do that right now. And, and the more and more we talk about this stuff, the more and more we watch it and consume it, things like Castlevania and the upcoming Assassin's Creed, the more and more of this stuff that we're going to get. And that's why we need to push this. And speaking of an era, this era, for at least this week, is coming to an end because that's going to do it for episode 170 of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to Eddie Shankar for just taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about Castlevania. Again, congratulations on the Assassin's Creed project. We can't wait to see what goes on with that. But, hey, if you want to see what goes on with us during the week, be sure to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. But we're not only on Facebook, we're also on Twitter at Down and Nerdy 757 If you want to talk to James and I individually, you can hit us up on our Twitters. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Merc with One Arm. 
I'm on Twitter at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Make sure you're following the show on social media, too, because we're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con coming up starting on July the 19th. Going to be posting all kinds of pictures up there. Of course, we'll be live tweeting panels and all that different stuff like we do every year. Even much more than that, though, this year as well. And follow us online as well, downandnerdypodcast.com. You can listen to the show on there. There's a this week section where you can get this week's show. You can find past shows, not only on the front page, but on the listen tab as well. More comics that we review are up there in the reviews tab, all at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pray safe comic reading. Always bag and board your comics.